In this episode, I am joined by Alex Ehlert. Alex has a PhD in Human Movement Sciences and is an assistant professor of exercise science. I got to know Alex through social media. He has done a lot of research on the correlation between different physical strength, power, and mobility measures and clubhead speed, and posted many helpful graphics. He recently published a paper in the European Journal of Sports Science titled The Correlations Between Physical Attributes and Golf Clubhead Speed. In this discussion, we dug into what he found and how he advises you approach working on your clubhead speed. Just before we get started, a quick reminder that Fit for Golf has its own app. It is currently being used by 4,000 golfers around the world, ranging all the way from PGA Tour winners to high handicap beginners to juniors and seniors. There are programs to suit everyone and the detailed video instruction makes it very simple to follow. You can get 20% off a one-year subscription by entering the code FFGPOD. You will not find it in the app store. You must go to the website, fitforgolf.blog forward slash app. Now to the interview with Alex Ehlert. Alex, how are you doing? And thank you very much for joining me. I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So for anybody who isn't familiar with Alex, he is an excellent resource on social media for anybody interested in golf fitness. And he's also heavily involved in academic research. Alex, can you please provide us with your background and tell us what you are now doing in the world of golf? Sure. These these questions are always kind of tricky, but uh, I'm currently an assistant professor of exercise science, um, basically studying and, and researching sport performance. Um, but my background is basically as a failed athlete and a golfer specifically in that I played division one golf, uh, but got beat by the likes of Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and all of them. And so I decided that uh, I wanted to figure out why some athletes are better than others on kind of the research end. Uh, but then more of a personal note with golf, I felt that I got really bad information throughout my competitive career, especially related to nutrition and fitness and how to actually improve golf performance. Uh, so I wanted to not only conduct research studies, but uh, just try to get quality information out there whenever I could. Fantastic. So what path have you taken since you decided that, you know, a future in professional golf probably wasn't for you and to where you are now? Yeah. So I'd say about sophomore, junior year of college, I realized I wasn't good enough to turn professional and didn't really even want to try. Um, I kind of fell in love with exercise physiology. Uh, so I went on to do a master's in that, uh, did some coaching, did a lot of research, worked with kind of both clinical and athletic populations, um, ended up taking a year or two to basically figure out what I wanted to do after that. So worked with some people. I taught some classes and decided I wanted to go back for a PhD. Uh, so I spent the last three and a half years at Old Dominion University uh, studying my PhD in human movement sciences uh, in the human performance lab. So we did a lot of sport nutrition and sports science research there. Uh, and then now I'm starting as professor and hopefully getting my own lab and research studies up and running. That's fantastic. So kind of the reason why we got to know each other and how I started following your stuff is that you've done a lot of research on the physical attributes most correlated with clubhead speed. And as I touched on a little bit earlier, you've shared some really good infographics that kind of simplify it all to 
easily digestible content on social media. But recently, you published a meta-analysis on the topic that was published in the European Journal of Sports Science. Can you maybe just quickly tell the listeners what a meta-analysis is, apologies, and what you found? Yeah, so with a meta-analysis is basically when you have quite a few studies on a specific topic, and usually the more specific, the better. Uh, so in this case, it was the correlations between different physical attributes and club head speed in golf. Uh, and a lot of the time, those individual studies can be hard to interpret, especially in this case when you have relatively small sample sizes within each study. Uh, so what meta-analysis does is statistically combine the results across studies to give you kind of one more global estimate of these correlations and then also a confidence interval. So kind of uh, the range of correlations we'd expect to be kind of probable based on the current research. Uh, so for a while, I was digging into these individual studies and trying to kind of display the trends across studies of kind of the range of correlations we see. Uh, but I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't as informative because some of these studies had very few people in them. So I thought the best approach was to actually combine the results with meta-analysis and get some cleaner estimates of what these correlations actually are. Uh, and basically, the results were pretty much the same as when I was looking at them independently, which was that our measures of muscle strength and really force generating capabilities, whether it's you know power, rate of force development, strength of both the lower body and upper body, uh, tend to have moderate to large correlations of club head speed. Uh, and then I also looked at specifics. So I broke it up by general categories first. So things like upper body power, upper body strength, lower body strength, lower body power, uh, just to kind of maximize the sample size and look at general trends. Uh, but then in the case of specific exercises or assessments that were fairly common across the studies, I pulled those out and combined those as well. So, for example, squat one repetition uh, max had a large correlation across all these studies with club head speed. Um, things like medicine ball throws, both kind of seated chest passes and rotational med ball throws for distance. Uh, both of those had pretty solid correlations. And then I looked at things like body mass and height and a few other tests as well. Most of the people listening will probably be familiar from following my stuff. But just for anybody who's not, can you tell the listeners what the difference between um, an exercise that's testing strength and an exercise that's testing power might be? And maybe give an example. And, and also, I suppose, why that's important for when we're checking correlations to club head speed. Yeah, sure. So when we're talking about strength, we're generally talking about the maximal amount of force you can apply to some sort of implement or something else, whether it's a barbell, whether it's a force plate. Uh, so it's most commonly measured by the maximal amount of weight you can lift during something like a squat, just for the convenience factor of that's something we do fairly regularly in kind of gym settings. Yeah. Uh, but it could or also maybe be a bench press for the upper body, maybe squat and bench press would be typical examples for a one rep max or three rep max or something. Yes, exactly. And then more common methods now, depending on equipment availability, it could be something like peak force during a mid thigh pull where you're on a force plate, you're pushing as hard into the ground as you possibly can. Um, but it's a measure of the maximal amount of force you can apply. 
but it takes time to reach peak force. Um, and most sporting events happen in relatively short periods of time. So a lot of people use tests like vertical jump power, um, medicine ball throws, because those are measures of how quickly you can apply that force and transfer energy through the body in relatively short periods of time. Uh, so it's looking at kind of how big the engine is versus how quickly you can generate force from that engine uh, is kind of the general gist of it. Um, but then, yeah, obviously the terminology kind of depends on how it's measured. Of course. And with those tests, I know you touched on it a little bit, but were you able to see that there was maybe one of those categories was more beneficial for the other? And we, we do know from kind of other research outside of golf too, that they're often very closely related. Like if someone is very strong, they also tend to be very powerful. And it's rare you'd have someone who's exceptionally good in the other or in one, but not so good in the other. Yeah, the results were fairly consistent across those general categories and that they were all kind of in this moderate to large when you're looking at uh, strength and power of both the upper and lower body. And I think there's something to it that they are closely related together in that a stronger golfer also tends to be able to perform better on things like vertical jump tests and medicine ball throw tests and things like that. Um, when you're looking at the individual tests, there were some differences, uh, like squat one rep max tends to be a pretty good differentiator, but it's hard to say because we still have relatively limited research in golf. Um, so as we kind of collect more data, it'll become much easier to tease out what the best assessments are, um, which I'm sure we can dig into more. Yeah. Um, no, that's perfect. So if an exercise is moderate to strong is moderately to strongly correlated with club head speed, does this mean if we increase our performance in that exercise that our club head speed will also increase? In, in a way, so it comes to the classic conversation of correlation versus causation. So what these were looking at are the general associations between these two values. So we measure your club head speed. We measure how much weight you can lift in a squat because there's kind of a, a relatively strong correlation there. Um, we know that they're related, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's cause and effect. Um, but we then can dig into things like the biomechanics of the golf swing, our understanding of training adaptations and how that can transfer to different dynamic movements like the golf swing. And then not to mention, you know, our experience working with golfers and studies that have done experimental actual approaches to training golfers, improving some of these values. And then we become a little more confident that getting stronger, getting more powerful generally transfers to faster club head speeds. Um, but it always worth noting that, it, you know, the physical side of things is just one piece of it. Golf is also, you know, a very large skill component. Uh, and I think that's where some of the arguments come about is that, yes, of course, it's not all how much you can squat, uh, but being stronger in kind of the underlying physical characteristics of being able to squat heavy uh, can be advantageous for, for swinging faster. Yeah, I think it's always a balance between the two. And we've talked about this before in that people will ask is, you know, swinging the club faster, is it more about technique or is it more about improving, you know, my strength and my power? And I think kind of the easiest way of explaining it is that if your technique is very good, but you have low strength and power levels, you're probably not going to be swinging very fast. You might be decently fast, but nowhere near your maximum. And the reverse is also true. If you're very, very strong and powerful, but you don't have particularly good technique, 
you're also not going to be anywhere near maximizing what your speed could be. And the fastest players that we see in the world, they tend to be people who have amazingly good technique and pretty damn good physical capabilities as well. Yeah, of course. And, and you'll actually hear like some of the biomechanists. There's a really good textbook chapter on the biomechanics of strength and conditioning by uh, Goodwin and, and then Dan Clether. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, but does a lot of really interesting work in biomechanics. And they talk about how really we should discuss sports specific strength as the combination of how well can those muscles and connective tissues produce force, the potential of them being able to generate the force in the first place, and then the skill of being able to use it within the context of the sport action. So it's, it's always going to be both. Um, being able to generate a lot of force from the legs is, is always nice to have, but you obviously need to be able to use it within the context of the golf swing to have that maximal effect. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, I think it's always interesting trying to think about too, and there's going to be large variations between athletes of different training experience in terms of physical training and also their golf skill. But you regularly get questions, people asking, you know, I want to swing X speed. How much do I need to improve my strength by in these different lifts? And it's just impossible to give any sort of clear guidance on that because when somebody starts strength training, they might rapidly increase in how much weight they can lift in certain exercises just by getting used to the exercise and getting comfortable with it. There might not actually be, say, big physiological or basically big changes in their body that are actually going to transfer to swinging a golf club, which is something that they're very, very familiar with. There generally needs to be you know, those real changes as opposed to just getting better at an exercise before we see the transfer. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it, it's actually been one of like when I since I've published this paper and put out some of the infographics, I think some people get confused and thinking the amount of weight you can squat is the important thing. It's really the underlying characteristics of people that can squat heavy. So the benefit of an exercise is the adaptation it's it causes, not necessarily the weight you lift. Um, so exactly like you said, most people will improve how much weight they can lift in a given exercise from a skill component just within the first you know week or two, or even within a given session as their technique improves. But really what's going to give you the best chance of transferring to your golf swing with a general strength exercises over time, the adaptations to both the nervous system, as well as the, the muscular tendinous systems that are actually going to give you more kind of physical tools to use within your golf swing. Um, so yeah, I think that's a key point. It's, a lot of people place a lot of emphasis on exercise and not enough emphasis on the adaptations that the exercise is trying to cause. Yeah, definitely. Another point that I think is really interesting when looking at different exercises that people are familiar with, you know, from a gym or a training setting and their correlation to club head speed is that certain there's certain basically body proportions, anthrometrics that make certain lifting exercises more difficult, but make swinging a golf club fast probably a little bit easier. Like a perfect example is if you have long legs and long arms, that's probably going to be really beneficial for swinging a golf club fast, but it's not probably going to be beneficial. Well, it's definitely not going to be beneficial for squatting and bench pressing heavy weights because you're going through a, a bigger range of motion. There's a weaker moment arm. 
And that's something that I think people, you know, don't really realize when they're looking at it from sort of a, a surface level. Yeah. Again, a great point of what are we, what are we actually trying to improve? Are we are we trying to improve the golfer's performance and, and actually trigger some of these adaptations that can help their performance as well as their resilience against stress? Or are we trying to check the boxes for reaching a certain strength level on an exercise that's probably somewhat arbitrary to begin with? Um, yeah, so I think that's a great point. And all the results of this, this analysis and correlations in general, you need to kind of consider it in context and all of the other factors that come into play. Yeah, of course. So maybe a better way of looking at it for the casual golfer or maybe the very interested golfer who's listening to this is that it's not so much how you can lift in certain exercises or how much power you can produce in certain exercises is going to transfer to a predictable club head speed. It's more so the physical changes that happen from increasing your strength and power levels are likely to help your club head speed. Because as we touched on, there's going to be people with lower starting numbers with body proportions that make lifting difficult, but swinging a golf club fast pretty easy. Those people, even though say their numbers might be quite low, getting stronger and more powerful is still going to be hugely beneficial to them. And then we might have people who are starting out from pretty good lifting base because their body is suited to it or they have a lot of experience in it. If they're very, very strong already, getting stronger and more powerful may help them, but it may also be a case of we need to look at your swing technique. It's always going to be the interplay of basically where you are with physical capabilities, where you are with technique and seeing where basically your, your potential for improvement lies. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why recently I've been trying to like put together and I've kind of updated it since, but my more recent like infographics have been focusing on kind of all these interacting factors and how they could actually influence club head speed from more of a mechanical perspective because the physical side of things is is one piece of it. And even that, the reason we're, you know, assessing squat one rep max or bench press one rep max is we're hoping to get some idea of the underlying force capabilities of the muscles. It's not necessarily the performance on the exercise itself that matters as much as we're just trying to assess changes in that kind of underlying physiology and using that exercise as a a tool to do that. Um, So yeah, great points. That makes perfect sense. Um, So we touched on muscle strength and muscle power, which are basically the force producing capabilities what about uh, mobility or flexibility? What did you find in your study regarding that and club head speed? Yeah, so that, that was a very inconsistent correlation. So when I it was when across all flexibility measures, there was pretty much nothing there, and it wasn't statistically significant, which basically means that the probability of it being a real effect was unlikely according to these statistical tests. Um, but then when I teased it out into individual tests, you can kind of start to think about some reasons why that may be. Well, a lot of them came from sit and reach. Uh, so the classic sit and reach test of trunk flexion and seeing how far you can actually reach with your hands, probably not the best assessment of golf performance. And it's even been questioned from a general functional perspective as well. Um, And then the one that surprised me a little bit was trunk rotation flexibility. There was a pretty wide range of results. Um, 
but it wasn't as large of an effect as I thought. And I talk about a few reasons that may be the case in the paper. Um, one, which I didn't actually bring up, but probably should have, is that the samples tended to be pretty young golfers. So the average age, I think, across all the studies was something like 23 years old. Usually college um, students or yeah. kind of young, young professionals or something like that. Yeah. So we have a young sample. Um it probably the test they used, even if trunk rotation flexibility, which uh, probably does make sense from a biomechanical perspective, um, even if it is important, the seated trunk rotation test may not reflect kind of how we're actually using our body during the golf swing. So your interaction with the ground is a big factor in developing things like X-factor stretch when you're, you know, pushing off the ground and rotating the hips at the beginning of the downswing, you're creating that separation uh, between the pelvis and, and the uh, shoulders, but you're kind of taking that away with a seated rotation test where you're now seated, your interaction with the ground is less important. So how well that actually is capturing what we want to capture um, that in Basically, the sample sizes were small for that test. It was a couple studies with small samples. And then finally, it could just be that flexibility. And in my experience, has largely been that flexibility is one of those things that more is not always better. Um, so if you have a group of golfers that are already pretty flexible, it's unlikely to be a major factor for who swings faster. Uh, but if you have a golfer that has very poor flexibility and they can't rotate the trunk and they can't increase that hand path length and give themselves more space to actually apply force, uh, it's probably like it, I'd be surprised if they wouldn't benefit from improving that quality a little bit. So it may be a matter of if it's a limiting factor for a golfer more so than more is always better, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it might be interesting to see similar testing protocols being done with maybe say 60 year old golfers versus 23 year old golfers and seeing if the correlations to club head speed change through the different physical attributes. Yeah, exactly. And and especially if you think about like an older golfer that really has a short backswing, uh, I'd be surprised if we could improve their length of their backswing by improving how well they can rotate. I'd be surprised if that isn't beneficial from a club head speed perspective. Um, whether it's as important as the force side of things, who knows? Um, but I would be very interested in looking at that because I'd expect the correlations may look a little different based on these population of golfers you're working with. Yeah, definitely. If you can get the hips to turn a little bit more, the torso to turn a little bit more, and then get the hands to travel a little bit further in the backswing, there's almost certainly going to be an increase in club head speed. Yeah, I would, I would expect so. And at least that's, you know, my theory and my experience when I've seen golfers improve some of those qualities when they start from a low level is, is that it generally is accompanied by faster swing speeds. Um, the Apple just need to gives me some projects to work on in the future, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, probably important to note too, though, that while flexibility and mobility definitely do decrease in the senior population, we know for certain that speed, like in terms of actually how, how fast you can contract your muscles and the, the signals from the central nervous system to the muscles, they probably drop off faster than strength or, or flexibility. So it's really important that they're trained, um, which is often what seniors neglect the most, I think, is, is real high velocity, high force training. 
Yeah. And I, I know you post a lot about that. And I, I love that because one of the biggest issues, and there's plenty of research on it, is that as people get older, they tend not to recruit those high threshold, those fast twitch motor units uh, as often as they used to. And it's kind of a use it or lose it kind of situation where you'll actually get some remodeling of if you're not generating impulses from these bigger, faster motor units, uh, they tend to waste away. And then the fibers, the muscle cells that were under their control are going to get taken over by slower motor neurons. So you're actually going to lose some of those fast twitch uh, kind of units of muscle if you're not recruiting them over time. So that does tend to be a pretty consistent finding is that the ability to generate force quickly declines pretty rapidly unless you stay active and, and continue to do high intensity with that being relative uh, yeah. training of some sort as you get older. Yeah. And the way, the way to recruit those height threshold, AKA fast twitch motor units or muscle fibers is moving things that are very difficult to move. So that can be something that's very heavy for a low number of reps, but they're also the muscle fibers that are recruited in a mid or higher rep set towards the end of the set when you're approaching failure and you really need to try and grind out those reps. Or the other way you can re recruit them is by moving things as quickly as possible. So jumping, throwing, speed sticks, the stack, swinging your own clubs as fast as you can, and basically anything in between, moving any implement as fast as you can. And that's basically the only way you can move implements that are really heavy to move because you have to try as hard as possible, even though you will be moving slowly because, because it's either heavy relative to your strength level or your, your fatigue down the last few reps. Yeah. And, and really that intent to move fast, regardless of the actual velocity itself seems to be pretty well linked with how efficiently you're recruiting you know, maximal motor unit recruitment and recruiting those higher threshold um, units of muscles. So, yeah, like you're saying, even if you aren't moving fast, when you're trying to move powerfully, even if it's, you know, a slow velocity because you're moving against a heavy weight or something that's relatively heavy for you, it's still going to recruit a lot of those units. Yeah. And like you touched on, that tends to be what a lot of people move away from as they progress through life. They don't, obviously it's getting further away from when they played maybe any sports, which demanded that. And there tends to be more of a shift towards things like swimming, biking, elliptical, and stretching, walking, things that are all very healthy for us, but don't do anything to, to maintain and recruit those faster drivers like we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. So doing something that does require some intensity and in a, you know, in a safe manner and within your ability to do so is going to be a good idea. And, and generally some combination of trying to lift things that are challenging to lift and try to move things quickly uh, as fast as you possibly can, at least at some point across a week is, is probably one of the best things you can do as you start to age. Yeah. Um, are there any exercises or tests not included the research you analyzed that you think should be? Uh, lots of them, but uh, a big one I get is uh, there's not really a, many attempts at a good pulling measure of strength. So the closest they had was something like pull-ups for repetitions, and then they multiplied it by body mass to get some sort of like accumulated weight lifted on pull-ups. Um, but that's not really assessing the same thing as something like think like a bent over row one rep max or some sort of pulling 
strength exercise for maximal force? Because uh, I get that question all the time. Why, like, why have you found correlations with bench press and club head speed? Is it because pushing muscles are more important than pulling? And that's largely, I'd expect a measure of pulling strength and pulling power to be just as important, if not more so. It's just that it hasn't been looked at to the same extent as squats and bench press. Um, that's been kind of the go-to strength exercises in the research so far. Um, so that's been been a big one is I would like to see some sort of measure of, of pulling strength and pulling power instead of just the seated chest pass for kind of the upper body power and then bench press strength for upper body strength. Yeah, something like maybe um, a maximal lat pull down, even if it was set up on an isometric machine or maybe like a Kaiser machine or cable pulley single arm row exercise where you can get a force output measurement. Yeah, I think that the closest we've gotten so far is they, uh, there's one study and it was a small study, but they did like a cable chopping motion from a golf posture, uh, had a really strong correlation with club head speed. Um, but yeah, something where we could get force outputs. Now, I'm trying to get creative, hopefully try to develop some ways to test this in a, a valid way in our lab moving forward. Um, but yeah, it's coming up with the best test for assessing some of these is something I want to really look into moving forward. I tried using a isometric dynamometer for a while set up uh, basically in a cable chop type position in a golf posture. So put the cable machine on, uh, put the pin into the heaviest weight so that hopefully the cable stack wouldn't move at all. And sometimes we'll get somebody holding the weights down if it was a really strong person that was doing the exercise, set the cable handle up to the highest setting and basically simulate like a, a transition style movement in the golf swing. So you're trying to pull on the handle as hard as you can. The handle is attached to the dynamometer. So you get a isometric force reading excuse me, <clears throat> but it was really hard to do reliably. People would, would move a lot. The posture would change a lot. I just found it very difficult to get consistent with the results. I think there's definitely something in your strength in that movement. Uh, that's why I prescribe tons of like those dynamic cable transition exercises and med ball slams and throws from that position. But it's just really hard to measure it, I think, you know, statistically, uh, consistently in, in like a lab or in the gym. Yeah. And, and that has been a big challenge because ideally I'd love to assess some very general measure of kind of pulling strength, like a very typical strength exercise, like a pole. And then something that is a little more in a golf specific uh, manner. Cause then you could kind of compare an athlete's results in those and see, you know, is it kind of general strength or is it being able to apply it in kind of the general direction of the golf swing uh, in kind of a similar way as if you look at kind of like a seated uh, med ball chest pass or something, and then like a rotational one, you can kind of look at whether general upper body power is translating to that more rotational power. Um, so that's, I would like to get creative and figure out some way, but like you said, the, the more kind of novel, the exercise test, the, the trickier it is to reliably assess it across many different golfers and, and really be able to tease some of that out yeah i started using as well um the push accelerometer the velocity measuring tool uh for some med ball throws and slams i'd be interested to see if basically there's a relationship between the two main ones that i were using were like a standard 
overhead med ball vertical slam uh, to try and look at basically like lat, lat power and essentially arm pulling power. Um, reasonably similar to how the arms sort of swing in the golf swing. Um, and then the 90 degrees to the wall rotational med ball throw power. Um, I was trying to do those with some higher level players and test them over time. And main, mainly what I'm interested more so in then correlation between that and club head speed is what happens for each person. If their outputs improve in those tests, can we see a change in club head speed? Uh, because I think those exercises are are pretty good indicator. Um, I was I was very humble. I, I tested a PGA Tour player, Seamus Power, um, probably about two months ago, and he absolutely destroyed me <laughs> in, the, in the power outputs in the tests. So uh, yeah, I've got a bit of work to do. But that's a good example too. He's um, he's about like six foot three and maybe 210 pounds or so so that's a good example of you know the physical frame making a huge difference on things like that um but he can also get his driver up to about 123 or four miles an hour if he wants to without without too much sweat so he uh he he has pretty good capabilities you can you can see the the transfer from the power output and the exercises to the swing speed is what i'm getting at yeah that's pretty good. I, I would take 124 right now, that's for sure. Um, if you were going to work with a player on increasing their club head speed, what would your process be? So if someone contacted you and they said, Alex, I've been following your stuff. I'm a really serious golfer. Let's assume it's a good player because when it's a low-skill player, there's it's just the low-hanging fruit is too easy. So let's say it's a, a professional player and they say, Alex, help me gain club head speed. I'll do whatever you say. What's your process? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. One that's probably changed over time. Uh, now that I've got a few fancy pieces of lab equipment, uh, I've really liked doing some measures like an isometric mid-thigh pull, um, which is a good measure. The peak force tends to be fairly reliable. And from the initial studies we've seen, uh, one is a good measure of just lower body strength, but also correlates pretty well with club head speed. Uh, and then follow that up with some counter movement jumps on the force plates. And you can look at things like peak impulse, which is a good predictor, which is basically just force times time. Um, so over the course of the propulsive phase, how much force did they generate? Uh, but you can look at the ratio between things like the force in a dynamic motion versus in the uh, counter movement jump versus peak force in the isometric test. And that has been used commonly and generally is, gives you a good estimate of whether they're lacking on the peak force side of things or if it's more translating it to the rapid force application. Um, so I, like, I would like to look at that from a lower body and kind of uh, ground reaction force perspective. Um, I'm generally going to look at some sort of upper body test, like a med ball throw. I generally, like you said, I like to look at uh, throw velocity. And I like to do some sort of measure that's like a chest pass and then a rotational one, again, to see if it's kind of translated into uh, rotational power and not just kind of general upper body power. And then obviously the most important thing is going to be where's their club head speed at now and then tracking that over time as we improve these things and because that's going to be the ultimate indicator of if what, if what we're doing is transferring to what we want to improve. Um, 
a lot of it, it it's it's tricky because like you said when you have beginners the approach is going to be pretty similar regardless most golfers even relatively skilled ones are pretty low when it comes to strength and power considering the demands of the golf swing when you start looking at compared to baseball or, or track and field like throwers um, you watch them work out in a gym it's it's a whole different world and the golf swing at the highest level has a lot of similarities yet a lot of golfers are pretty low on the strength and power end of things so in a lot of cases it's building up that force potential from them addressing any obvious limitations in trunk rotation or mobility elsewhere uh, and then encouraging them to try to start transferring it to the golf swing with kind of introducing some speed training down the line, especially and slowly introducing that and then making that more of a priority as the strength and power uh, kind of improve. Yeah, that's fantastic. Is there areas of research that you're looking forward to learning more about? Is there any technology that's coming along that you think might really help you with what you're trying to do? Yeah, so I've got a few few projects planned. The hard one is really narrowing down where to start because uh, there's a lot I want to do. Uh, but I just got force plates um, that measure vertical force, um, uh, Hawk and dynamic. Um, so one of the first studies I want to do is we often assume that the reason that uh, lower body strength and power is correlated with club head speed is that you're actually better able to use the ground during the golf swing. Um, but no one's actually links those two things together. Uh, so I want to get skilled golfers in, measure their ability to put force into the ground during a general test, like a mid-thigh pull and, and vertical jumps. I want to also measure vertical force during their golf swings and at different phases of the golf swing, and then also measure club head speed. Um, and then look at how those things relate to each other independently. Uh, but I also kind of want to analyze, there's a specific statistical method if where if you're thinking of uh, your strength kind of resulting in club head speed down the line, I want to see if that relationship is kind of goes through ground reaction force during the swing, meaning is the reason that their ability to push into the ground correlated with club head speed because it translates to them putting more force into the ground during the golf swing itself. Um, so it, it'll be kind of linking, hopefully, the ground reaction forces during the swing and then during physical tests. Uh, and then one thing I want to look at is teasing out what time frames are most relevant to club head speed. So if I can assess someone on a force plate, how much force under what given time frame is most interesting? Because uh, a lot of people assume that because the duration of the downswing is only about 0.3 seconds, if you assess it as the time from when the club's at the top of the backswing until impact, that you really only have 0.3 seconds to push into the ground. Uh, but most good golfers are beginning to push into the ground even before the backswing's over to kind of initiate that movement with the hips. Um, so my thought is that we probably have more time for force uh, application from the lower body than that 0.3, but I would really like to tease out what a good number is like when is that most relevant ground reaction force being generated and can we assess that capability in kind of a gym or, or lab setting if that makes sense yeah it does make sense and for the listeners the reason why that time is important alex is saying 0 0.3 seconds roughly is that in sporting actions 
where there is a shorter amount of time available to produce force, the less transfer we get from maximal strength exercises and the more they might be related to things like rate of force development, how quickly you can apply force. So a good example would be in something like a 100 meter sprint, when the sprinters get to their maximum velocity after say roughly 40 meters or so, their foot's only in, the con- only in contact with the ground for about 0.08 seconds. So about a third of the time than, their, than the person has on the downswing in the golf swing. And we have over three times more force or three times more time to produce force in the downswing of the golf swing than we do with, say, something like a foot contact and sprinting. Then that can have a big impact on what we should train, basically, and the different types of training that might transfer. Yeah, exactly. And now there's been a few studies and and we need more, but like Jack Wells work. And then uh, there's a recent study with mid thigh poles as well. What you'll see is part of it is that these some of the measurements are not very reliable, meaning the results bounce all over the place, but they'll measure the rate of force development at different time points. So how quickly the change in force or change in time, basically from like the first 50 milliseconds, the first 150, first 200. And you'll generally see those correlations grow as the time frame increases. Uh, But probably more important is that like Jack, he measured counter movement jumps, which is considered a slow stretch shortening cycle activity uh, compared to something like a drop jump uh, where you have you have very short ground contact time. You're relying mostly on kind of the elastic components of the lower body. Um, It found that the counter movement jump in pulse during that was much more strongly correlated than the drop jump. Um, and all this is to say, and then when you think about kind of how a golfer interacts with the grounds compared to something like sprinting, we probably have a little more time to generate that force, at least from the lower body, uh, than most other sports where they may have 0.2 or less seconds to generate force. And given that it can take 0.91 second, in some cases longer than that to generate peak force in sports like sprinting. Uh, how quickly you generate that force is going to be much more important than how much, if that makes sense. But golf may be a little different in that. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Something that I think based on the research that I've read and just sort of following, you know, some of the more popular practitioners online and their, their social media posts and stuff like that is there's definitely been a shift in golf strength and conditioning for people to perform these force velocity tests, which is fantastic. It definitely provides good info. But I think people are maybe getting too consumed by the lower body ones because they're easy to test. And there's not enough being done on rotational ones. And there's not enough being done on upper body ones. Um, And I, I think as those tests maybe become more practical to implement and we learn more from them, I think they might end up being more impactful on a player's speed than getting obsessed with, you know, the velocity profiling of jumps and squats and things like that, not to say that they're not important. Yeah, and that kind of is some of the projects I want to work at down the line are starting to tease out some of that. So like you said, it's very easy to measure lower body function when you have something like a force plate. You have them do different tests. You're measuring how much force they're pushing into the ground and how much the ground is pushing back up at you. And it's very easy to get a nice clean number from some of these tests but when you're talking about upper body um and then especially the more 
specific to the golf swing we get becomes much more difficult to quantify the force that's being generated. Um, there's been one study that's kind of tried, but where they kind of did things like I want to play around with something like a ballistic push up on the force plates and, and start to tease out some of that still relatively general, but at least upper body. Uh, but I kind of suspect at least my initial thought without much other data to support it at this time is that the upper body probably operates a little more like a fast stretch short in cycle than the lower body does. Um, since you kind of have a pretty long time to push into the ground with the legs, but the upper body has to move pretty quickly. Uh, so I kind of want to start to tease out some of that. And then I, I would actually love with just like even something as simple. I know like the stack algorithm does a little bit of it, but it'd be so simple with even like super speed or other weighted implement training to actually assess a load velocity kind of profile. Let's see how fast I swing each one of the three different weights, uh, identify where your weakness is. And a study I want to do is what if we devoted more of that volume to your weakness, would that be more effective than distributing it evenly across the three different weights? Um, so that's I've, a study I would like to do eventually. I've done that practically with tour players with their speed sticks. If I notice that they have one stick that they seem to be slightly weaker with relative to the other ones, I bump up the volume on that and basically see how it affects their club head speed. And I think that's something where when people get, you know, kind of more advanced in their training and they're comfortable with what they're doing, that's where moving away from, you know, very generalized programs and learning how to tweak it to yourself could make a big difference because there's definitely no doubt that there is variations amongst people between how they do with lighter implements and heavier implements and what that might mean for their training. And I would even like to do something similar with like medicine ball throws. So you'll hear debates on social media all the time. What is the best weight medicine ball yeah. to throw? Well, we may not be able to get an answer for everybody, but if you look at how fast someone throws different weighted balls that are kind of evenly distributed apart from each other, mm -hmm. you can get an idea of, are they lacking in the velocity end of things? Or are they lacking in the ability to uh, the load or force side of things? And then maybe that gives you a, a more individualized starting point with that person of let's focus more on the lighter ball moving as fast as possible or the heavier ball um, focusing more on the force side of things. And, I could see there being some utility to that with golfers that already have some training experience under their belt. Yeah, definitely. Bill Miller does a lot of that with yeah. baseball players and throwers. And I think driveline baseball do quite a bit of that too with their pitchers and their, their batters, their hitters. Um, Alex, we're going to leave it there today. That is very good information. I don't want to overload the listeners with too much can you please let us know where listeners can find more from you? Yeah, sure. Uh, the two social medias I'm on are Twitter, which I think it's at Alex M. Ehlert. Um, and then on Instagram, I think it's at golf underscore physiologist. Uh, haven't been posting a ton recently, but I'm hoping to in the future and maybe put out some content down the, uh, down the road once I get more settled in at the new job. You're too busy working. Yeah, unfortunately, at the moment, that's true. That's great. I will put um, the links to those social media profiles in the notes under this show in the podcast apps. The information on Alex's social media is really, really good. I've definitely learned a lot from it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
Alex, thank you very much again for your time. And I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, thanks again for having me.